All right. I love that intro. That was fun. All right. Well, thanks. We have Kevin Indig here today. Kevin, you want to say hi to everybody? Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Kevin's the uh, VP of SEO and content. Did I get that correct, Kevin? That's absolutely right. By the way, killer intro for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, man, we're excited. We got the VP of content SEO from G2 here today with us. Um, and we're going to be popping sour candy, having fun asking questions. And what I'm really excited about, Kevin, is just for everybody to get to know you. Okay, you got your candy ready? Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm stacked with candy. <laughs> Where is it here? I love it. I love it. So, you know what? Let's start off by asking a simple question. What do people maybe not know about you outside of marketing? So let's start with a personal question to get a little bit of you out there before we dive into the technical stuff. Wow, yeah, love that, man. We're starting with really good questions. Um, I'm I'm a very avid uh, powerlifter, uh, which is a, a strength sport. Um, I feel like my Instagram, I'm I'm pretty. That's that's like my outlet for that. So I think some people might know that, but most people probably don't. So when I'm not at my desk, I'm in the gym lifting heavy weights or trying to lift heavy weights and um, compete in that, but not professionally, just amateur, just yeah. like very basic. But that's kind of my my. My balance to knowledge work. Oh, I love that. I mean, and you work, you know, outside of powerlifting. So I, I like used to lift. So I loved Olympic lifting. That was like a big part. So I used to play uh, college soccer, and like Olympic lifting was a big part of explosiveness and like getting more better at it. So definitely fun on that end. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting is you work at G two, right? And it's essentially a content business. So perfect fit for someone like yourself in the sense of how that business operates. So in your mind, why is content so important to SaaS? Yeah, yeah, fantastic question as well. And by the way, I love Olympic weightlifting. I did some of that myself. So why is content so important for SaaS? There are a couple of things, right? Um, it First of all, it depends a little bit on your SaaS business, but content can really, um, depending on what your product is, touch buyers very early on in their buyer journey, right? So traditionally, B2B businesses are very sales heavy, and that's its own kind of, uh, you know, flow or channel. But what we see these days with like new exploding SaaS businesses like uh, Figma, for example, or mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, some of like um, Zendesk or Zenefit or Atlassian, some of these businesses, you know, they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do have a sales force, but uh, content is basically their assistant, right? It, it brings them leads if it's done well, and it, it contributes a lot to the business. In fact, at Atlassian, where it was before G2, content was the biggest driver of, of business, and that, that's, a, that's a 20 to $30 billion business. So it can, it can, you know, it can be a, a valuable assistant to sales. So I'm over your head that there, you know, because... One of the things I became really passionate about as of late is changing the way I thought about content. And I have a very simple question I like to ask myself now, which is if someone reads this piece, are they more likely to hire us after than they were before? Yeah. And what I'm finding is the only way I can say yes to that question is if I can figure out how to integrate my product or my service into the content. And I think that's something Allison, like Trello, right? They did a really good job of showing all the use cases of Trello in their actual content. So like in your mind, how can SaaS marketers and content marketers work with product 
to figure out how to get the nuance of what they're actually selling into the content. So the content drives MQLs and drives action. Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. And by the way, I did for anybody listening, I did not know this question was coming, uh, but it fits so very, very well into uh, a blog article that I'm writing uh, for my oh, yeah. blog uh, that's coming out on Monday. And it's basically about content modes, right? So there's this idea in business of modes that are just simply things that businesses do to have a competitive advantage. Like an Amazon, you know, they are very bullish or basically their whole business is built on vast selection, low prices and fast delivery. Uh, Apple has a lock-in effect with their iMessage ecosystem and integration of different devices with each other. And that's a moat. And we can think of it the same way in terms of content, right? So when you ask yourself the question, like how does this piece of content contribute to somebody hiring us as an agency? The question is also, how does that piece of content differentiate itself? How does it stick out? How is it memorable, right? How does it basically attract the audience and touch the audience that you want for your business? And there are a couple of things that people can do, uh, but it comes back to really understanding, first of all, what, you know, what, you, what your audience really cares about. So there's this aspect of market research, but then there's also yeah. this aspect of production value, of great design, of great layout, of different yeah. channels that the content lives in. Like we're doing video right now, uh, audio put the, theoretically as well. And there's text, there are graphics, right? So all of that plays together in Unison nowadays. And then there's yeah. also the question of uh, unique data, of expert opinions, of uh, product and that leads me to you know the answer to your actual question which is how can you how can you intersect that with product and one thing that we worked uh, on at lesson towards the end of my tenure was to break down the wall between product and content and i think yeah. brands that do this really really well are canva and zapier so zapier yeah. has these zaps right in their content canva has links to their templates right in the content. And I think that's really the next step in the evolution of content marketing or content in general is that kind of um, that direct integration of content, even if it's content that targets users very early on in their buyer journey and the actual product itself. I love that. I actually was talking with um, one of the larger data companies today in the SaaS space. And one of my ideas for them was, was how they could change, right? Because they have um, like get a free trial but their product is data, right? And so what I wanted to do is change the call to action to be getting into the data. So instead of saying like, here's your information, get free trial, it would be, see if we have who you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then you would be able to type their name and then it would be, see if we have them. And then when you hit it, it goes live to the database, but then it's locked. And then you add your email and your name to, to then get that person. So like figuring out how to integrate value propositions with the product to then get people further down your funnel, but also bought into the value prop. That to me is the stuff that definitely gets me excited. So it's awesome to hear your perspective on that. Now, you mentioned on Monday, you got a new blog post. Now for everybody who doesn't know, you've got a great newsletter called Techbound. Now, what I'm curious about is how do you see newsletters fitting into B2B SaaS? No, I know how you use it for your personal brand, but is there any crossover that B2B SaaS or even B2C SaaS should be aware of when thinking about a newsletter? Yeah, 100%. And so in my experience and in my mind, um, the format of email has really transitioned from a notification or a channel to send offers out on to an audience building channel. Brands who do this really well, for example, uh, um, are Intercom. They send a great newsletter. I think HubSpot sends a really good one as well. And it's really more a, it's a content channel, right? So they publish exclusive content, sometimes in the form of curated 
content that you should read or sometimes in the form of mini interviews, mini articles, mini essays. And that in itself is a, you know, it's, it's a valuable channel, not just for um, audience building, but also for audience retention and customer retention. So it gets really interesting when you once again, merge the, the stuff that's happening on the product side with the stuff stuff that you sh uh, that you send out via email, but then also just you know make it very valuable for audiences. And uh, the cool thing is that first of all the 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 filters you have to overcome are much more lenient than a Google algorithm or Facebook algorithm. Uh, so you have a much higher open rate, a much higher chance to reach your audience, and they can answer back to you. And people are still trained and in the habit of answering emails, asking. I get for my personal business, I get tons of like emails. Sometimes like, hey, you have a typo here. Sometimes it's that's a great idea. What you know, what do you think about X? Sometimes it's you know, it's different things, but people come back to you on email still. And I think what moved that that trend is the um, rise of Slack and Microsoft Teams and Messengers. That's where most of the communication happens at work nowadays, but everybody still has yeah. an email account or inbox. So I think it's actually a great opportunity yeah. if you invest the effort needed to provide real value beyond just like notifications and offers. I love that. I love that. Now, I have so many questions that I want to ask, but it is time for our candy. Candy. So, yes, we're going with the uh, smash ups. So the one that says smash ups. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I genuinely, I'm so nervous right now. I haven't had sour candy in so long. It looks All so right. sour. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be oh hard. Oh my God, this is sour. <laughs> so bad. Oh, we still have two so sour. <laughs> hey. Mm, wow. Here we go. Great. So <laughs> you, you do a lot of speaking just like I. So I have like 30 conferences a year. I never have sour candy in my mouth <laughs> but when i'm doing these conferences and i'm speaking at them I, I was excited about it like it was a big push for us this year yeah where do you see field marketing going in 2021 where do you see virtual events actually having viability like where do you see that market going yeah that's a great question uh by the way for the audience, this is hella sour so excuse me if I answer <laughs> is not perfect, but um, I think there's a I think it's very fascinating. Oh, we and G two actually have our first virtual event coming up called Reach. Um, it's in two weeks, and um, what we learned, what I also hear from other friends in the industry and other experts, is that they're surprised by how well some of these virtual events are actually going. Yeah. And so we we learned that internally, we had our kickoff for the second half of the year a couple of weeks ago at G two, and it was the best um it was the best kickoff that we ever had and okay. so what i think is first of all companies come to that realization that these virtual events actually are feasible they provide a lot of value even stuff like net networking even though it's it's not the exact same but it's possible and feasible and at the same time i think there's so much potential to be creative with online events to um, come up with really cool formats and it's much much easier to track potentially ask people to sign up for something, get information about them. So I think we're really just seeing the tip of the iceberg here and what's possible. And I also expect that all of this will be, you know, will become bigger and stronger, better. I mean, look at you and I, like we're on a live stream right now. That's, you know, yeah. not completely new, but I see that popping up more and more. Uh, Cloudflare yeah. just hosted their, I think it was their annual conference. Um, and they made it like a TV channel. So you could tune into different type of channels, 
where people were speaking live. Sometimes it was product people explaining the product, new features, sometimes guests. So that's super wow. exciting. We have Qualtrics. They recently um, had a huge conference. I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was Barack Obama or Michelle Obama speaking that's or something. I think that in mind. So when you think about it, right, like those conferences were all funded by booths. And the digital sponsorship at an event was the least valuable part. The little app, you know, sponsorship you get, or like the value, I guess, was always in the conversations. Really, though, the after conversations, like the the private dinners with target accounts, the 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 moments, the meetings, the demos. So, if you're a SaaS company, do you think you can get enough value out of just the registrant list, or like? Is there like, cause you're right. You had, let's say a quarter million dollar field marketing budget. And now you could try to put that into your own conference. That's one way, or you could spend it on other channels. Kind of like, what do you think you do with that 250,000 in your mind? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the, the answer is interesting because we at G2 get a lot of that budget that previously went into events uh, because yeah. companies realize that reviews are important, that this is a, a viable marketing channel and they have that budget to spend. So we see a great return from that and companies see great returns from that as well. I still believe that on top of that, um, the the question is when you sponsor an event like that, some like an, like an online event, how do you make it more than just a sponsorship, right? Like how do you create... A specific landing page or or onboarding flow from that a little offer a little something and honestly i think that now companies start to be creative about that type of stuff you know it used to be something like here's a 10 percent off type of coupon log in now it's like hey how can i customize my offer to that specific event and how can i maybe even be part of that experience itself right so um I think, again, like you can be super creative in that as a company. I haven't seen that much yet, but I think because it's all digital online, it's easier to measure. It's easier to customize. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder who comes out with the first cool killer idea there. I know. I love that. I love that. Now, I think one of the cool, so like I am not the normal SEO in the sense that I don't really care about like anything that most SEOs care about. I really care about like sales, finance, product, creative. And like all the parts that I think, frankly, drive the most value, just in my opinion. Now, with that being said, how do you do forecasting maybe? And I'd love to get into like more of the deeper stuff that most people don't talk about in the SEO space. Like, how do you think about forecasting at G2? So when you got to go, let's say to the CMO and they say, hey, Kevin, what are you expecting in Q4 from organic so we can hire CS reps so that we make sure we're staffed on engineers so that we know what, like how many new SDRs we're going to need or how many AEs. So how do you think about forecasting? Yeah, fantastic question. And by the way, I think because you think so much about other teams and about other areas of the uh, as, uh, sorry of the business, I think that actually makes you a very good SEO. And that's that's something that most SEOs actually miss out on. So to answer your actual question, I have um, a marketing analyst. We actually have a whole marketing operations department. And she helps me setting up a linear regression model based on the traffic over the last four years that helps us to make a relatively accurate forecast based on whether our traffic or what it would look like if it was flat and what it would look like if we were to launch specific SEO bets. And so these bets can be projects, can be um, content on specific uh, pages, can be new features, can be, you know, SEO stuff, basically. And we then project the returns of those bets 
based on when we release them and how much traffic we get. So that allows us for that allows for a pretty accurate forecast throughout the whole year. And of course, you know, we update it on a regular basis because things change and like the forecast that or the traffic that we got from COVID, which was insane because everybody's looking for video conferencing software and telemedicine software. We obviously yep. didn't forecast that, and you cannot, right? That's outside of the, the the possible realms. But everything else works pretty much like that. It's a linear regression model that helps you understand seasonality, helps you understand past performance, and that's your base forecast. And on top of that, come all the things that you launch in SEO with the with the traffic projection. Wow, no, I love that. That's a, I think it's a really cool way for everybody listening to think about it. Now, do you ever in your in those projections start to do funnel analysis and then tie that back to like LTV CAC so you can see the LTV CAC? from organic or how, how how deep do you go on that they go pretty deep and it's tough with a funnel concept because it doesn't apply in that sense to g2 it, it's much more like a buyer journey and what happens mm -hmm. is that people come to g2 and they they might like visit a a compare page to compare two pieces of software for like 30 seconds and then they come they they bounce and then they come back maybe two weeks later and they're like okay now i have a you know a narrow set of of software that i can choose from that i want to go with and they you know, then so there are many touch points, right? So for us, it's really important to go with a first touch attribution and then monitor these touch points and then make sure then uh, try to shorten that user journey, right? Or try to shorten the time until people found the their pieces of software. The challenge that yeah. comes on top of that is that we need to segment our audience into different um, people from different market segments. So somebody evaluating a freemium solution for a small medium business uh, company has a much much shorter um, buyer journey than somebody evaluating an enterprise product the problem is that's not easy to decipher right so we do our best in uh, in kind of um, untangling that and understanding it better and we optimize our site based on those factors and based on who we understand is coming to our site luckily we um, have a product called buyer intent that basically shows you who's coming to your site. So we have a pretty good understanding and we can, you know, uh, eat our own dog food to, to um, decrypt our audience. But there is a lot of effort going into that. And it's 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 not, it's unfortunately not as simple. Sorry, I'm playing with my light here. It's unfortunately not as simple uh, as for some other uh, SaaS companies where you very clearly have a funnel and you have different stages and you can measure what comes out at the end of the funnel. For us, it's a much more... Um, it's much more of like an like an unlinear journey type of business. I love that. So if you think about G2, right, you have all these categories and all these different category pages, right? So you have this massive kind of topical and subtopic kind of information architecture. How do you then get data from SEO, right, to your PPC team at G2 so that you can start to have that retargeting, right? If you think about the type of content you have, how do you guys retarget at scale so you deliver the right content to people based on the pages they viewed? How do you think about that? Yeah, fantastic question. And so uh, G2 has uh, spent very, very little money on, on PPC. We just do a little bit, uh, bit on our brand. Yeah. Most of our traffic and, and, and business comes from organic. And But there's still, you know, there's still an important point that you touched on because it's actually our customers who use it for retargeting purposes. And so we have a LinkedIn ads integration. We have integrations with Google ads, a couple other uh, advertising platforms that allow our customers to then retarget people coming to their profiles, coming to their product pages, to their reviews, and then use it for their own marketing purposes. I love that. No, I love that. Okay, now we're time for the second warhead.
<laughs> I've got apple over here. Okay. So lemon. Here we go. Okay, beautiful. Yep. I love it. Okay. Got lemon and apple. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, the beginning man. is so sour, and then it wasn't bad, but it was so sour at first. All right, let me see if I can get. Oh yeah, the beginning is. <laughs> oh man, that is brutal. Uh, that is so that show, um, like where superstars eat spicy hot wings. Oh, this is this was our idea. They copied us. Yeah, so don't they... <laughs> that's what I thought. Well, one of the things I see Captera do that's very interesting is they have like this arbitrage thing where they bid so if they, you search like top erp software they rank pretty well organically but they're also advertising and they're charging let's say 25 dollars a click which is doing two things for them right number one is driving up the cost per acquisition of google ads so it's increasing the value of their service but then they're also sending people to a page where they're charging each of the advertisers let's say 15 dollars a click or 20 and so they're actually making money by sending people to their CPC page. Have you guys ever thought about doing something at G2 like that? Is is to me that just seems like I could print money, right? So I could advertise on ERP software for twenty dollars, and every click I made sixty. Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, what am I missing on this? Actually, G2 was born out of the idea of of disrupting exactly that business model right so uh, Gartner, uh sorry captera is owned by gartner and gartner owns yep. also owns sites like get app software advice couple others their whole business model is based on pay to play right if you want to be on the gartner quadrant you pay a certain amount of money and the mm -hmm. founders of g2 said hey why can i not get objective reviews because you know, in a nutshell, you, you, you pay for your reviews uh, and your placement on Captera and, and other and these other Gartner sites. So the founders of G2 were like, hey, how can we create something objective? Because they were frustrated with their own experience in buying software, right? It was a very biased um, kind of approach. And then the, the experience wasn't good. So at G2, you know, we, we, we're very proud of our uh, objectivity. We have a million reviews. We're the biggest review marketplace. And it's all objective, moderated reviews. Every review that we get is moderated by our research analyst team. There is no automatic uh, posting mm. on G2. You have to prove that you actually use the software by posting a screenshot, answering a couple of questions, and all that kind of stuff. And that allows us to, you know, like we're, we're not bidding on, on uh, any uh, terms. Uh, and that allows us to get all this traffic organically, right? And I would even argue that for Captera, it makes sense from an arbitrage perspective, but they're probably also, uh, you know, cannibalizing some of their organic traffic with that PPC or they're, they're in, a, in a nutshell, they're probably losing a lot of money because they're ranking in both. Because what I've seen in tests at Atlassian with, you know, very strong brands like Jira and Trello, or as you can read uh, from companies like eBay, Expedia, your... Um, like basically you you can cannibalize your traffic with ppc ads it depends a little bit on what you're bidding for um and and how strong your brand is but um i think you know by doing both at the same time they might get more serp real estate but they might as well um kind of cannibalize or eat into some of their arbitrage or uh, some of their margins i mean but oh, yeah, that's that makes them sense. to figure out so for you kevin you know when you're thinking about the rest of q3 going into q4 and you were talking about how you want to make some bets on SEO. What's a big bet that everyone tuning in right now could or should be making an investment 
in their SEO that they might have just like, I don't know. To me, I get to talk with, I feel like more SaaS marketers than anybody in the world. Like I do this all day, every day. And I feel like everybody's just banging the same drum. It's like do a blog post, but make it longer, right? Like make our product pages have more content. We should start a podcast. And then honestly, after that, I don't know if anyone even has a big plan or an idea. So what's something that can break their monotony? Because I mean, I know I have a billion ideas of my own, but in your mind, what's like a big idea, uh, an investment, like something they could do in a 90 day, in a quarter that could change the foundation of their SEO? Yeah, uh, I wish I could go into some of our big bets. I can't because I know the competition is listening. Uh, hello yeah. at this point. Um, but you know, th there are still some things that I can that I can uh, hand out in terms of um, what would help. And now, first of all, it depends really on the structure of your business. We at G two we have um, both sides. We have a marketplace based on user generated content that is very scalable, and then we also have a content marketing platform which lives on learn.g2.com. And so our approaches are obviously very different because. For the marketplace, we mainly optimize uh, from technical SEO perspective. On the uh, Learn Hub, it's mostly our content marketing efforts, right? So I think there, you know, first of all, I would distinguish between what is my business actually um, like and what drives it. When it comes to user-generated content, I think one of the biggest drivers is internal linking. I recently blogged a lot about that. I think op you, you're never really done optimizing that type of structure, and you can get really sophisticated in even adding internal links. To Sorry, is there a target? internal links that people should be thinking about like 10 internal links to a product page 20 like how how should people think like do you have any best practices maybe for the listeners around like so if they have a product or a solution page a bottom of funnel page how many links from like blog posts and can they be from one blog post should it be from separate like how should they be thinking about internal linking to bottom of funnel uh pages yeah such a good question and so the answer is when your business is based on a few landing pages to sign up. So one example is Atlassian, you have Jira, you have a Jira sign up landing page, and then you have a whole list of like content hubs built around that. Yeah. In this case, obviously your funnel structure should be leading up to that landing page. And you basically have to ask yourself along the way, are there specific pages not performing as they should be? So there yeah. you start with a problem first analysis, say like the landing page doesn't rank for its main keyword. Then you can look other other pages on the blog, for example, that have a high page rank or high domain authority or whatever metric you want to use to link yeah. from those pages to the landing page. When you mm -hmm. have a, and I call that a, a decentralized site, I also wrote about that on my blog. Yeah. When you have a decentralized site where it can stand up everywhere, say something like a Pinterest, like a New York Times or other business models, like even a, even a Canva theoretically. In this case, the question is much more, how can you raise the performance of all pages by using more internal link modules? And that's mm. where it gets a bit nitty gritty, right? It can be something like related products, products other people bought. It's very e-commerce-like. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it becomes much less of a manual optimization and much more an optimization at scale. And that's how yeah. we think about it at G2 as well, right? It's like on the content marketing hub, we're like, okay, this is manual. How can we build systems that reminds content marketers to add internal links whenever they create a new page and how can we structure or systematize our internal linking manually on our marketplace yeah. we think about structurally or programmatically so then the question is you know what happens yeah. when we add this one link module and how does that change the landscape of our page rank and chi rank um, on our site
I love that. I think one of the coolest parts about what you're saying is that there's moments to do things manually and there's moments to do things automatically and learning when to do what and why I think is really important. Now, one of the things I love to think about is how you take SEO into content without bastardizing the content. So in other words, how do you do content that's still brand centric in your mind or audience first or product first or performance first from a like, it's actually good content. So how do you like, essentially in my mind, right? The best SEO lowers SEO priority, increases brand and audience yet still gets what it needs. How do you think marketers, especially SaaS marketers can go about doing SEO without doing SEO? Like, what does that look like in your mind? Yeah. The, the good thing is that the development of Google and Google's progression and better understanding content plays into our cards here because it means that yeah. they we have to optimize less and Google just gets better at understanding the true value of a piece of content, even if it doesn't contain keywords to a certain amount. Now, I still think, I still see a lot of value in using editors like SMR Schreiter Assistant, ClearScope, MarketMuse, and I'm probably forgetting two or three here. Um, yep. to make sure that you have your most relevant entities in your content. Because I think it's still important to have some sort of an SEO lens on content, but I think you can take the pain away from the writer and the limitations by having them write in, a, in an editor like that and then um, just make sure that they tick some of the check marks, but um, also allowing them the creative freedom that they need to make this a really cool, enticing piece, tell a great story, and so on and so on. So I do think yeah. there is a nice sweet spot, right? I think it's it's probably slightly different for every brand and everybody has to find that for themselves. But I think it's very much possible with an editor to write in. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh-oh, Kevin. Uh-oh. It's time. What's this is the final candy. As we wrap up, it's called Toxic Waste. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm yeah. scared. For the audience, that's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> hazardous sour candy. Oh, my God. Yeah. If it says hazardous, that's not a good thing. Okay, let's see. <laughs> no. All right, I got it open. Click. How do you, how do you open it? I have such a bad stomachache. I'm going to do this like every week now. I'm just going <laughs> to have so much sour candy in my life. I need All to right. read this first. Sorry. It's not opening for me. Oh, that's sour. Oh, that's really sour. Oh, here we go. Okay, I got it. Okay, got it. Are you ready? It's free. Oh, my God. I'm not, but let's do this. Okay, here we this go. This is both the worst one. So I know they do heat on the Scovels. What do they do sour on? Do you know? <laughs> sorry, what was that? I was, I'm sorry. My ears are clogging because it's so sorry. What was that? Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> So the Scoville index does heat, like jalapenos and oh. different types of heat. I was curious if you know what they do sour on. <laughs> you know, like index? I don't know, but this is very much. Whatever it is, this is up there. <laughs> so as we close out, you know, SEO is so full of best practices that it's become inefficient. In other words, there's so many copycats and there's so many people whose like version of SEO is that you need more. Whatever it is, you need more of it. Why aren't you ranking? Not enough links. Why aren't you ranking? Not enough content. Why are you doing this? Not fast enough. It's always something about more. In your mind, what's the thing we need to do that gets us from more to different? Like, how do you start to stand out, you know, in content, in SEO, in marketing in general? What can SaaS people, like, approach-wise, tactic-wise, like, what can we do to stop copycatting? First principle thinking. 
And so I think, you know, if I reflect a little bit on, on, on my career, one thing that helped me very much was to get as much input from experts, theory, blogs, books as possible, but then test it ruthlessly. And if you don't see the returns, then ask yourself why and don't take it for granted, right? So I think one one problem that I see, and I was guilty of that at the beginning of my career as well. It's not that I always figured that out, right? But I learned the painful hard way that if you just do what other people are saying, what's written out there, it might just not work. And you'll find yeah. yourself in a situation where you have a ton of bets running or projects running or investments made based on false assumptions. And sometimes it's not even that people are lying. And sometimes it's just that there's so much variability in SEO uh, and so many dependencies based on your vertical that you just deal with a different landscape, right? So there might be different impact from different things. Backlinks yeah. are my favorite. Sometimes they work flawlessly and they you need a lot of them. Sometimes it doesn't matter. It really depends yeah. on a query. And so just ruthlessly test and start from first principles. Start from what you actually see. How do you actually assess the success of something that you ship in content, uh, that you ship in yeah. SEO, and then operate based on that? I love that. I love that. Now, I think in closing, Kevin, uh, anything that we didn't cover today that you feel that you know that you want to elaborate on or that we could explore a little more? Is there anything that you felt um, that we didn't get to fully cover? I think these questions were amazing and very well researched. But I'm curious, what do you think, um, Garrett? Like, what is what what do you think is the reason for why you know like many SEOs have such a hard time getting things done, getting things shipped? Couple reasons. Um, I think it goes to three things. Number one, they don't create a financial case for why they need more actually on their end. Yeah. In other words, they always are told to do more. Or they think they need to do more, but they can never. Like I've found very few SEOs that can normalize the way the finance team thinks about spending another dollar on SEO compared to PPC. Right. Like, I don't think that they've actually, most organizations have taken a full LTV CAC model and then evaluated SEO first PPC. And so SEO is always evaluated with like, like people don't think of SEO, like you could do better if you invest in more development resources, if you invest in more design resources, creative, Right, because if you really want to do great SEO, I think it needs to become functional. In other words, you can't just rank for informational intent. You have to be able to rank for functional intent. Yeah. Like you have to have tools, resources, and assets that are truly help people solve whatever the intent was of their query. Yeah. So I think that's one reason. I think the other reason is they they can only think based on the periods that they're measured in. In other words, what I found is most SEOs report weekly, so all the ideas and campaigns they do are based on what they could get done that week, not what they could get done that year or that quarter. And so what happens is we start to have diminishing marginal returns because we're only working or focused on what we could do between now and our next report. And so that's a second reason. Then the last reason is their primary KPI is still traffic. And if your primary KPI is traffic, you're missing the whole point. In other words, if it's about your website more than it's about your brand, then you're not understanding the actual value of SEO. Like to me, content and SEO is not about driving website impressions, it's driving brand impressions. Hmm. And so if you get really creative there and unlock yourself from your website, you can say, well, I'm not gonna rank for top ERP software because G2 is number one. So instead of me trying to rank for top ERP software, why don't I just consider review sites as part of my organic strategy? Since review sites rank organically, I can use some of my budget there and then I can go to middle of funnel or top. Like, how can I start to get really creative? And then also can I think bigger? So I think unhinging yourself from your website, 
getting yourself correlated with finance and sales, like really having financial metrics and, and then just thinking bigger and different. And I think, yeah, th those are the biggest gaps I see across the board when I'm talking to these SaaS companies is they're trying to do the same playbook, even though they have like these people are really sharp. They're amazing marketers who do lazy, bad, stereotypical templated SEO because they think they have to grow website traffic. And, and if you get yourself away from website and into brand and you say the whole point is to like make your total addressable market aware of you and then want to work with you, then you get to have fun. You get to do interviews where you have eating sour candy because <laughs> you change what the point is, right? And that's how I think um, we can go to that next level. Yeah. I 100% agree. Absolutely. I think traffic is a terrible metric in many cases. I love it. Oh, well, Kevin, how, people, how can people get a hold of you, find you, um, anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So we touched on it a couple of times. My site is kevin-indig.com. Um, I publish a weekly free newsletter, and I also added a paid tier where you get two extra episodes every week. So check yeah. that out. I also started recently a YouTube channel. Still experimenting with that, but if you want to see the the humble beginnings, then uh, tune into this. And um, otherwise, yeah, just find me on Twitter at at Kevin underscore Indic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Kevin. It was a great having you as our first guest for uh, Sour and Sass, and looking forward uh, to hanging out and getting to hang out more with you. So yeah, thanks, Kevin. This was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right.